0: This is Condopedia. Here we talk about everything related to condo law in Ontario with hopefully some humor mixed in.
1: Welcome everybody to our May 2022 Condo Crunch. I hope you all enjoyed that lively music, trying to get everybody a little upbeat and excited about our topic today. Our topic today is meeting mishaps. What we're gonna do, I'm gonna share my screen for just a quick moment. I'm gonna show you what we're gonna do today. We are going to take this agenda here today we're going to start at the beginning and we're going to chunk up the topics for each of our three speakers here today and go through some of the key mishaps that we've seen in our experience with meetings on each of these topics so you get a little summary of what the mishap is and then how we think that you could make it right or alternate approaches that you might have. And hopefully that'll help you navigate your next meeting if you have any mishaps. So that's what we're going to do today. What are condo crunches all about? Our condo crunches are short lunch hour sessions. We're aiming to finish between 30 minutes and 45 minutes. Hopefully you've all grabbed a, some, a snack, something to eat, coffee or tea to uh, enjoy as you're watching our session here today. It's solely an information giving session. We don't take questions during these sessions. Again, to keep on track, make sure we can uh, give the best information possible in the shortest amount of time possible. We do have a Q&A coming up though, so if you have any questions stemming from today or any other any questions you might have, you'll have an opportunity to submit those questions at another time for our June 24th Q&A session. So without further ado, I'm going to invite our first speaker here today, who is Jessica. Jessica, go ahead and join me on screen here. Jessica's going to walk us through the call to order, the confirmation of chair and scrutineers, confirmation of notice, and I think some of the key issues that might come up with that. And I should just let you know that we have a, a few little issues on the internet at our office. Jessica's audio is perfect, but every now and then, her she may freeze a little bit. Doesn't mean she's going away. Her audio is great. It's just a little bit of an internet quality issue at the office that uh, we apologize for. So Jessica, over to you. Great, thank you so much, Nancy, and
2: fingers crossed that our uh, audio stays with us for this time. So to start off today, I'm gonna be covering the first few parts of an owner's meeting and the things to think about to avoid some of the common mishaps. So I'm gonna be talking to you about the call to order, the confirmation of the meeting chair and scrutineers, the confirmation of the notice of meeting and the confirmation of quorum. So let's first turn to the call to order. The call to order is your start of the official meeting. As the chair, you're gonna introduce the head table and deal with any relevant housekeeping matters as you open the meeting. For virtual meetings, it's gonna be important that you let owners know if the meeting is being recorded, and if so, what the purpose of the recording is. Specifically, you will want to let owners know that the recording is to assist the recording secretary with the minute-taking process and does not form a record of the corporation. Before the meeting, you'll wanna have thought about what rules of order you're using for the meeting procedure, Usually this will be either Robert's rules or Nathan's rules, particularly in situations where there is a risk of an owner challenging a ruling that the chair is making at the meeting. You'll want to know which rules of order will apply to the meeting procedure, familiarize yourself with the rules, and let the participants of the meeting know what rules of order will apply as you're opening the meeting. Next is the confirmation of the meeting chair and the scrutineers. At this stage, you'll want to confirm both the chair of the meeting and the scrutineers appointed for any vote that will take place during the meeting. In terms of determining who will chair the meeting, you'll, you're going to first look to the corporation's bylaws. Often the corporation's comprehensive bylaw will include a provision that sets out who is to chair owners meetings. This is often the president or the secretary of the corporation. However, in many cases, the board may want someone else to chair the meeting, such as legal counsel. In those cases, you'll want a motion at the beginning of the meeting confirming the chairperson. You will also need a motion to appoint the scrutineers for any votes taking place during the meeting. At an in-person meeting, these motions will be made live on the spot at the beginning of the meeting. However, during a virtual meeting, it's important that you give owners advance notice of who will be chairing the meeting and who will be acting as the scrutineers. For virtual meetings, the scrutineers are generally the hosting platform. And we recommend that this information of who's gonna act as the chair and who's gonna act as the scrutineers during your virtual meeting be provided to owners in the meeting package in advance of the meeting, letting owners know where they can direct any objections to these appointments. And this is gonna help you ensure that you're prepared in advance for any objections to the chair or the scrutineers so that they can be adequately dealt with and that your virtual meeting goes smoothly. Next, we're gonna turn to the confirmation of notice of meeting. So again, before getting into any substantive business of the meeting, you need to confirm to the owners that the preliminary notice and the notice of meeting was sent out in the timelines required. There are mandatory forms for both the preliminary notice and the notice of meeting that must be used and specific timelines that set out when these notices must be given to owners in advance of the meeting. When counting the timelines for sending out these notices, you'll need to check the corporation's bylaws to confirm whether or not you need to include any extra days when calculating the proper notice period. This is a step that's often overlooked, so one of those common mishaps. So you wanna remember to check your bylaws when you're calculating the notice dates. These deadlines are important to ensure that proper notice of the meeting is given to the owners. Where the meeting deadlines may have been missed or if there's another deficiency with the meeting package, you may need to postpone the meeting and hold it at another time after proper notice has been given. Or in some cases, you may be able to correct the deficiency at the meeting itself. This is done by having owners waive the defect and any prejudice that has arisen as a result by agreeing to proceed with the meeting. Whether you can proceed with the meeting or need to reschedule is going to depend on the particular issue that has arisen in your notice and the nature of the business presented at the meeting. If there are any concerns with a deficiency in your notice package, we recommend that you reach out to your legal counsel to discuss your options for proceeding with the meeting. And the last preliminary procedural step at the opening of the meeting is the confirmation of quorum. So again, before we get into the substance, you're going to need to confirm that you have the necessary participation by owners in person or by proxy to conduct business at the meeting. Generally speaking, your quorum requirement to owner, um, is going to be those owners who own 25% of the units in the corporation. However, it's important to remember that if a meeting has already been rescheduled a few times due to a failure to obtain quorum, a lower threshold may apply. So the Condominium Act says that if you have tried to hold an owner's meeting twice unsuccessfully due to a lack of quorum on your subsequent attempt, uh, that quorum requirement is lowered to 15%. In some cases, older condominium bylaws may include an incorrect quorum requirement. So this is another mishap to be aware of. So for example, your older bylaw may say that you need a higher number of owners present, such as 33% to obtain quorum. However, it's important to remember that whatever that different number is in your bylaws that does not override the act and it will not change your quorum requirements for your meeting. So again, we wanna keep that 25% uh, number in mind, regardless of what your bylaws say. And that kind of covers off the preliminary steps in a, of an owner's meeting. And I'm going to turn it back to Nancy to introduce our next speaker.
1: Great. Thanks, Jess. And I think what I'll do is I'll highlight just a couple of the key points that you made, because a lot of this does go back to your bylaws. So remember, check your bylaws. If you're calling a meeting, it's your first time doing a meeting, go back to some of the key provisions in your general, everyday operating bylaw to see. What does your bylaw say about chairing the meeting, who is entitled to chair, how many days notice do you have to provide, is it 17 days notice if you factor in the 15 days, plus two for dropping it in the mailbox or are you good for with just two to 15 days, because you're doing everything electronically, so going back to your bylaws, making sure that you check off for each of the items on your agenda, whether there is a provision in your bylaw that deals with that. With respect to scrutineering, as Jessica mentioned, it can be a little bit tricky when you're dealing with a virtual meeting if you anticipate any challenges to scrutineering electronically. We have seen some cases where even though it's a virtual meeting, there has been in-person scrutineering after the meeting occurred. And so you can set up specific procedures to allow for an in-person scrutineering process for a virtual meeting, but it's likely gonna have to take place afterwards. And so you have to be prepared for that if you're going to face challenges. The best way to get prepared for that is to set out your process in your meeting package, in your cover letter to say, this is the scrutineer, this is the chair. If we get three or more objections, We'll take a motion at the meeting, and here's how we'll deal with it. So looking at your bylaws, being prepared, and being proactive. I'm going to share my screen again because we did have a bit of a concern that maybe the words were a little too small. So here we go. We've completed items number one, two, three, and four. We're going to move on now to the approval of the minutes, the presentation of the audit financial statements and appointment of auditor, and that lovely little issue of proxies. So listen carefully. Victoria's got some really key hot tips on proxies and each of these key items. So Victoria, I enjoy. I invite you to join me and I'll turn it over to you. Okay, so I'm first, good afternoon, everyone. So I'm
3: first going to take you through um, common mishaps with proxies, and then I'm going to turn to common mishaps with the AGM minutes and audited financial statements. So turning first to proxies, as everyone knows, the purpose of a proxy form is to allow an owner who is unable to attend a meeting, but who wishes to participate in the decision-making processes to appoint someone who will attend the meeting on their behalf On their behalf uh, by completing a proxy form. Uh, There there are different mishaps that can occur with uh, proxy forms. To avoid these mishaps as much as possible, it's always best to encourage owners to submit proxy forms in advance of these meetings so that any issues or problems with the proxy forms can be resolved uh, in advance of the meeting. Um, Despite best efforts, uh, unanticipated mishaps can still occur with proxy forms uh, during the meeting, requiring the chair and or those involved in meeting registration uh, to troubleshoot those mistakes right then and there. Um, As a starting point, the chair is ultimately responsible uh, for determining the validity of the proxy, although the registrant uh, may assist the chair with this task. When reviewing a proxy form, uh, the Chair and or those involved with registration should be asking, uh, what is the effect of the proxy? Uh, What are the owner's voting instructions? How is the owner guiding or instructing the proxy to vote? Um, Or is the proxy able to vote um, as they wish? If there is an error with the proxy, it doesn't necessarily mean that the proxy is invalid outright, but the chair will need to figure out the owner's true voting instructions uh, and therefore how votes are to be recorded under the terms uh, of the proxy. So the first mishap I'm going to discuss today is when an owner submits a proxy that is not in the prescribed form. Uh, Is this proxy valid? The answer to this question is it depends. A proxy that is not in the prescribed form is valid as long as the reside revised form is first, um, does not affect the substance of the form and is unlikely to mislead, and two, is organized in the same or substantially the same way as the prescribed form. Uh, these criteria are confirmed in section 84 of the Legislation Act. Uh, For instance, our firm has made some improvements to the prescribed form to make it uh, clearer and to address some of of its weaknesses. Um, But our improved version still includes all of the substance contained within the prescribed form and does not substantially alter the format. And so in our view, it certainly satisfies the requirements under the Legislation Act. However, if you receive a proxy uh, form that is missing, some of the substance of the prescribed form is misleading and or has substantially altered the organization of the form, the proxy might not be valid. And so in those cases, the meeting registrant and ultimately the chair uh, may have to decide uh, whether or not to accept the proxy. Another common mishap is in relation to dealing with amendments at the meeting, Uh, and so, for example, suppose that an owner submits a proxy form in the prescribed form um, instructing the proxy to vote in favor of a proposed bylaw, but at the meeting the proposed bylaw is amended, and so the question becomes should the chair count the owner's vote as set out in the proxy. The answer to this question is, it depends. Uh, One weakness uh, in the prescribed form is that it does not state how uh, the proxy giver's vote uh, in relation to a specific matter, such as a bylaw, applies in circumstances where the bylaw is amended at the meeting. And so whether the chair should count The proxy giver's vote probably depends on what the specific amendment is. If the amendment uh, to the proposed bylaw is more minor in nature, then it probably makes sense for the chair to count the proxy giver's vote on the bylaw. However, if the, bylaw, or if the amendment wholly changes the nature of the bylaw as originally uh, presented to the proxy giver, uh, it may make sense for the chair to conclude that the proxy giver's uh, vote should not be counted towards the vote on the bylaw. Um, I note that this weakness in the, with the prescribed form has been addressed by our firm's improved proxy form, which confirms that the proxy giver's vote in relation to a specific matter still applies after any amendments that may be passed um, in relation to that specific matter at the meeting. Uh, The next common mishap that I'm going to discussed today is in relation to board elections and so suppose there is a vote to elect candidates to two positions on the board and there are three proposed candidates Um, as required by the proxy form the owner must confirm the rank of these three candidates on the proxy form but suppose at the meeting uh, that the proxy giver's top two uh, candidates withdraw from candidacy and two new candidates uh, put their names forward can the proxy holder vote for the new candidates that are not listed on the proxy form? The answer is, um, in most cases, the answer is likely yes. But again, it depends on the interpretation of the proxy form. Assuming the proxy holder is permitted to vote on substantial matters, uh, this would likely give the proxy holder the authority to vote for one of the two new candidates to fill the second vacancy, which is no longer covered by the specific ranking on the proxy form. The vote for the first vacancy would go to the remaining ranked candidate on the proxy form because those are the specific instructions from the proxy giver. Another common mishap is when an owner has appointed another as their proxy uh, but would still like to attend the meeting are they permitted to do so? So the answer to this is yes. A proxy giver who has appointed another as their proxy is permitted to attend the meeting, but of course isn't entitled to vote. Just because they have submitted a proxy form does not mean that they've given up the right to attend the meeting. Uh, A common example of this situation is when an elderly owner attends the meeting to listen in on the discussion of the community, but appoints another family member to vote on their behalf. Another common mishap is when an individual submits a proxy form on behalf of an owner who has already uh, submitted a proxy form to the condominium corporation. And so the question becomes, which proxy form takes precedence? The proxy form that was last completed by the owner generally takes precedence. Uh, The prescribed form um, includes the statement, I revoke all proxies uh, previously given, and requires that the owner include the date on and time on which they've executed the proxy form. And so if presented with this problem at the meeting, the chair and or the registrant will need to look at the time of day and the date of when the owner last signed the proxy form to confirm which proxy is the later proxy. The final common mishap that I'll be discussing today uh, in relation to proxies is when uh, the proxy votes have not been properly allocated to the appropriate eligible voter at the meeting. So how do you handle this? At a meeting of owners, it's always important to cross-reference proxies that have been submitted with online and in-person voters to ensure the appropriate number of votes have been allocated to each eligible voter. Not understanding exactly how many votes each eligible voter has increases the risk of duplicate or ineligible votes uh, being included in the final tally, which of course uh, jeopardizes the integrity of the results. So those are mishaps with proxies. I'm now going to turn to mishaps with AGM minutes and audited financial statements. So turning first to AGM minutes. um, So as a starting point, the essential requirement, uh, which has been confirmed by the condominium authority tribunal is that minutes should be a reasonable summary of what transpired at the AGM. So every comment is not required to be verbatim in the minutes. Um, If you know in advance that an owner is going to uh, raise several concerns with the AGM minutes, ask that owner in advance of the meeting that they put their concerns in writing and provide them to the chair so that the chair can review them in advance and also have them um, during the meeting in front of them. Um, If you know that this is going to come up at the meeting. it's important to allocate sufficient time in order to deal with this issue. Um, Another thing to keep in mind um, is that only those who were present at the AGM can approve the meeting minutes for that AGM. And so if you have someone challenging the AGM minutes who um, was not present at the AGM, they likely don't have a right to do so. Uh, So now turning to audited financial statements. So one thing that we've learned by doing virtual AGM throughout the pandemic is that having a live visual uh, representation of the statements has been hugely successful. And so w- this is easy to do if you're doing a virtual meeting, um, you can easily share your screen showing the audited financial statements so all owners can, are looking at the same thing. Um, if you're doing an in-person meeting, you, we suggest um, having an overhead projector or some type of screen so that everybody can see uh, the statements while the presentation is happening. Um, Another point to keep in mind is that the auditor is not required to attend the meeting unless the board or an owner uh, requests their attendance. However, it's often a good idea to have the auditor present to answer any questions uh, from the owners if they have any questions. Um, It's also important to remember that the board and not the owners uh, approve the audited financial statements. So as a final point uh, for both the AGM minutes and the audited financial statements, it's important to ensure that the discussion is confined to those items of business, namely the approval of the AGM minutes and questions relating to the audited financial statements. Um, in most cases, uh, the chair should advise owners who wish to discuss other matters to please wait until the end of the meeting when general discussion opens up so that the chair can keep their meeting, um, the meeting agenda on track.
1: So those conclude my items. Nancy, over to you. Fantastic. And how important is that last point you just made, Victoria? Making sure your meeting stays on track, right? So again, we see it so often during the financial presentation. Someone asks a question about the tree line item. And next thing you know, we're talking about How many trees are we going to plant this year? So Victoria's point is well taken. Uh, Keep your questions confined to the item in question on the agenda. A couple of uh, key uh, pieces of information Victoria also raised. Making sure your chair understands their role. The chair is in a very important role at a meeting. Uh, Making sure that they review the proxies in advance or at the meeting, depending on when they're appointed, et cetera. And it's an important step that the chair needs to take that sometimes can be overlooked. The chair not even looking at those proxies. Next, The proxy form. I like to joke that A proxy could be in crayon, frankly, as long as it contains all of the key elements. If somebody wanted to write out by hand that proxy, that mandatory form from start to finish in crayon, we would still have to accept it. It's also important to remember that the proxy does not have to be the one included in the AGM package. We have seen situations where boards have refused to accept proxies that owners have completed online using the mandatory form printed out and then submitted that are different from the ones that were included in the AGM package have their own list of candidates, etc. The form that is accepted at the meeting does not have to be the one that's included in the AGM package. In fact, the, the, the proxy in the package is, uh, is a courtesy. And finally, amendments can be tricky. So if you have amendments, if you have bylaws coming up or rules and you anticipate some amendments, make sure your proxy form contemplates that, as Victoria said, and think about what that should look like. And on that note, I'll share my screen one more time because of course, we are flying through the annual general meeting of the best condo in Eastern Ontario ever. And we are now at item number nine and 10, which are the elections and uh, various voting items that may come up. So we're going to turn it over to Emily now to talk about some of the mishaps and how to's for
0: each of those items. I'll stop my share. Pardon me, Emily, over to you. Awesome. Thanks, Nancy. So yep, as Nancy mentioned, I'll be talking about voting and elections and some of the problems that uh, or issues that you might encounter during this part of your AGM or your owners meeting. Now, voting is often a key component of a meeting. So it's important to ensure that owners are provided a clear explanation of of the items that they're going to be voted on. And sometimes it may be a good idea to have legal counsel attend as well to assist with this uh, in terms of explaining the details of some of the items to be voted on. Now, during your meeting, there may also be certain items that are for discussion only and not to be voted on. So it's important to ensure that owners understand this and that uh, they're not expecting to be casting a vote for items such as uh, amendments to the declaration. Um, This may be a discussion item for owners, but uh, consents consents will be collected from the unit owners after the meeting, rather than having them vote, vote on the item during the meeting. Not only is voting important, counting votes appropriately is equally an important step. Uh, So for virtual meetings, you will want to ensure that enough time is provided to owners to cast their vote. It's also important to be mindful that there may be some technical issues that could arise for certain owners and you'll want to ensure that you're prepared to assist with any of these technical or troubleshooting items. For example, sometimes in the past, we've had issues for certain owners with our voting platform. They're not able to access it for whatever reason. So we often use um, examples like email voting or voting via private chat to the scrutineer as a backup option where technical issues arise. The important thing here is to just assure owners that their vote will be counted. When counting votes, it's also important to remember that each unit gets only one vote. Even if there are two or more unit owners for that unit, there's only one vote to be counted for that unit. Now, during the counting of votes, you want to avoid double counting. Um, So one way to do this is to ensure that a particular unit that has already submitted a proxy is not permitted to also cast a live vote or ensuring that their previously submitted proxy is revoked before a live vote is cast. For proxy holders, um, it's crucial to ensure that accurate weight is given to their votes. So the number of votes that they have will depend on the number of valid proxies they're holding. For example, um, for any proxy holder that might be holding, for example, five proxies, they would have six votes, one for themselves and one for each of the proxies that they hold. And so when you're counting their votes, you'll want to ensure that that's accurately weighted as six votes. For live voting, one option to consider to help with keeping count of votes by a particular proxy holder is to provide numbered ballots. So it's clear when you're counting how much weight is to be given to their votes. So for someone, again, who's holding five proxies, they'll have number of ballots one to, one to five, and you'll know right away that their vote counts as five. Similarly, you could consider colored ballots for live votes. Um, so a different color for each of the items to be voted on. You could do pink ballots for bylaws and green for election of uh, directors. And this will help to easily identify which votes are for which items when it comes time to count. Now, moving on to director elections, another important um, aspect of the meeting. As we all know, candidate disclosures must be completed in order for an individual to be eligible as a candidate for the board. Now, often this will be completed beforehand and provided to the owners as a part of the meeting package. However, it's important to remember that the disclosure can also be done verbally during the meeting. Um, One issue I want to touch on specifically is the vote for an owner-occupied position. So for certain condominiums, a particular position on the board is reserved for voting by owner-occupant units only. So this applies to residential units, not commercial units. For residential units, if a particular owner does not live within their condo, they are not eligible to cast a vote for this position. Again, during during a live vote, it will be important not to provide a ballot for this vote to any owner that does not reside in their unit or that owns a commercial unit. However, it's important to remember that it doesn't matter whether the director themselves who is elected to this position occupies their unit. So the important thing is just to ensure that the ballots provided for this vote are given only to owner occupants, uh, owners who occupy their units. Um, there are upcoming changes, however, to the condominium act that will amend this reserve position to be only required if there are a minority of non-leased units or if the owner of a non-leased unit requests for, election, for this to be added to the election, for the reserve position to be added to the election. So it, won't, it will no longer become mandatory uh, once these amendments are passed. Another key issue to be mindful for elections is that not only do positions on the board need to be filled, It's important to remember that the terms of each board member uh, being elected must also be determined at the meeting. I know Nancy has um, some pretty interesting stories that she's encountered situations where terms were not determined at the meeting resulting in a dispute between the elected directors um, who wanted the same term and the matter nearly went to court. So you want to be sure to avoid a situation like that and ensure that terms are determined during the meeting. Now, the last topic I wanted to touch on is uh, somewhat tricky. It's understanding voting thresholds. So for most items that will be voted on during the meeting, they will be passed on the threshold of a majority of votes cast by owners at the meeting. So these are things like procedural items, approving minutes, approving the auditor, etc. If you've attended a virtual meeting with our firm, where our firm has cha- has chaired and hosted, you'll know that for these types of votes, we often do a poll. So the item is passed if a majority of owners who are in attendance at the meeting cast a vote in favor. Certain other items, however, are passed on a threshold of owners of a majority of units in the corporation. So this applies to voting on things like bylaws. It's not just about a question, it's not just about a votes cast at the meeting, for this item, it would be a vote in favor by owners of a majority of all of the units in the corporation. So in this situation, there could arise issues of quorum. Um, so those problems would come into play where if you don't have enough owners at the meeting to have a majority of all of them voting on the bylaw, then it's the bylaw would not be able to be passed at the meeting. However, not to fret in these situations, one option is to request proxies from owners following the meeting for their vote on the particular bylaw, and then to hold a further proxy meeting for the purposes of passing that bylaw. And finally, on the topic thresholds, one unique item that you may or may not be aware of is the threshold for a vote for the removal of a director. In order to remove a director from the board, from the board, excuse me, before the end of their term, owners of more than 50% of all owner-occupied units in the corporation must vote in favor of the removal. So that's different from a majority of owners, a majority of votes cast at the meeting or a majority of all units in the corporation. For this item, it's 50% of all, more than 50% of all owner-occupied units in the corporation. So these are somewhat tricky, but important to remember for each different threshold that might apply to the different items being voted on at the AGM. And that's everything for me. I hope that was helpful to raise some key issues to be mindful of.
1: Fantastic, Emily. Thank you so much. And the proxy and the bylaw issue and voting on bylaws—that is a really key issue because we do face many times where we don't—we have quorum for the meeting, but not a sufficient amount of attend owners and attendants to pass the bylaw. So there are certain methods that can be brought into play to allow the board of directors to continue to collect proxies after the meeting, provided that it's clear that that's the direction the ownership wants to go. So make sure you're ready for that issue in case you don't have enough people there to pass your bylaw, and make sure that you put that motion in the minutes if your motion is to uh, close the meeting subject to a recall to allow for additional proxies to pass a bylaw you want to make sure that motion is in the minutes and and carefully uh, written so that you know that you can rely upon that in the future another key little tricky mishap that sometimes happens after the meeting is that it's important to remember that for the purposes of the election board members are also owners so board members just by virtue of the fact that they're board members don't get to see the proxies or the ballots for all of these votes. Um, Again, just by virtue of being a board member. They would have to be redacted as well. And in our view, board members have to submit a records request in order to see any of the ballots or proxies from an owner's meeting. Owners are entitled to the privacy of their vote and that applies equally to members of the board of the directors. Well, folks, that brings us to our general discussion of today's annual general meeting of the greatest Eastern Ontario condo ever. So just a couple of final housekeeping issues before we let you go watch out for this uh condo crunch on our one of our next podcasts all of our condo crunches are put onto a podcast so you can listen to them at your own discretion and leisure and fast forward and rewind if there's any key topic that might be of interest to you and on the issue of podcasts, hopefully you know that we're also having the Great Eastern Ontario Condo Contest, uh, which is if you listen to our podcast, there's going to be questions on some of our podcasts, you can enter a ballot or an answer with the contest rules and the, the explanations are in each of the emails for an opportunity to win an iPad. And the winner of the iPad will be announced at our June 24th Q&A session. So watch for the invitation for the June 24th Q&A session, and that's where we'll be answering your day-to-day general questions and announce the winner of the iPad. And let me put on my CCI Eastern Ontario president hat for just a quick second and give you a little bit of advance notice that. We should be seeing an announcement from CCIEO shortly about a June social, June 17th. The idea is a 5 Asset, but we're going to extend it from a four till seven, uh, just knowing that there's a football game coming up later on in the evening. There may be tickets to the Red Blacks that might be raffled off at that event. Uh, it's gonna be at a location in Ottawa uh, with some outdoor and indoor seating available and an opportunity for us to all get together for the first time in several years and see everybody in person we're very much looking forward to it so again watch for that uh, invitation from ccieo watch for your pot for your podcast uh, out, um, update that our condo crunch is out and watch your email for our other podcasts and questions on the great eastern ontario condo contest thank you everybody for attending here it was such so great to see so many people in attendance we wish you a terrific rest of your day and we'll see you at the next condo crunch take care
3: Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Conopedia is brought to you by Davidson Hu Allen, a boutique condominium law firm servicing Eastern Ontario. You can find more about our firm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or on our website at davidsonconolaw.ca. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended to provide legal opinion or advice, which cannot be given without knowing the facts of a specific situation. Use of this podcast does not establish a solicitor and client relationship.
1: The intro and outro music is provided by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com.